as we continue to learn a few things. There's a common thread in the world. There's a lot of common threads, but there's one common thread that's um, never going to change in this world. And that is that people, good, bad, evil, ugly, righteous, saints, sinners, all the like, are going to suffer. We're going to have pain. We're going to have times of suffering in our minds and our bodies and relationships, our thoughts. We're going to wonder if it's ever going to get better. We're going to seek out ways of avoiding suffering or escaping certain types of suffering. We're going to be empowered to think, well, I can stand and do this and I can make changes only to find that it's only short-lived. And at the end of the day, the New Testament teaches us that our joy is full in Christ. The New Testament teaches us the apostles under great trial, a lot of constant turmoil, continues to encourage us to rest. We sang about it this morning. We rest. How are we to rest when there's so much to do? How are we to rest when there's so much pain? How are we to rest when there are so many problems? How are we to rest? Well, that's why the answer is supernatural. It is out of this world. And every religion and every iteration of Christianity and every faith and every practice and precept of some type of philosophy will always come to the same end, and that is despair. Yes, we may trick ourselves. We may establish a discipline in our lives to pretend as though things are not bad. We may learn to speak and do self-talk to such a degree that we are no longer focused on these things. And I'm not saying that that's a bad practice to affirm, but it doesn't produce peace. It doesn't produce joy. What produces the fullness of joy, according to the Bible, is a consistent confidence Oh, I stubbed my toe, that's okay, it'll heal. Oh, I fell and I skimped my knee, that's all right, I've done that before, it'll heal. Oh, I tore my shoulder up. Oh, I broke my nose. Oh, I fell down the steps, that's all right. And then one day, depending on what age you are, you go, this isn't healing. <laughs> so our confidence wanes. Oh, we're strong, we can go, we can do. Our brains are sharp, we can remember things. What did I come in here for? Do I have dementia? Am I going crazy? We used to get along, remember? It was all fun. It was like a honeymoon every day. We were best friends. Everything's great. And all of a sudden, like, who are you? The way you dress makes me upset. Would you chew with your mouth closed? (laughs) Quit pointing fingers. But you see... Everything ends. I used to make the joke before I got accused of child abuse. That the reason God made children cute is so we didn't kill them. I mean, could you imagine that thing that you brought into the world, gave life to, that you give everything for, and it talks back at you and calls you names and it was ugly? Oh no, it's over. Population, be done. But we find beauty in the midst of great pain sometimes in certain circumstances because our perception in some of those situations has been molded to be what it is. It has been tainted by another perception. When it comes to our children, as hard as they hurt us or as difficult as it may be as they grow older and things take place and we wish that we could help them more, we still love them And we love them by doing for them and giving to them and being there for them. Not how we feel. Love is not what we feel for people. Love is what we do for people. Imagine Christ. Imagine Jesus. For just a moment, in in a psychological way, here is the God of creation in His eternal decree and purpose 
to create the cosmos, to create the earth, to create humanity and everything that lives, to show his sovereignty and salvation and redemption through the creation, and then to enter into this creation through his creation to be like his creation, to save his creation, to be subject to our foolishness, to be subject to temptation, to be subject to being the ruler and the creator of all things. It's like drawing a picture and then putting yourself on the page and hope someone else comes along and finishes the story. Except God is sovereign in that. He became part of the world, but yet he was still the God of the world. Took on a new person. Took on flesh. Not a new person. I messed up with that. Ignore that. The son, the person of the son, took on humanity. There you go. Just accidentally preached modalism. And yet the world doesn't know him. But yet everybody in our culture has some sense of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be in the faith or what it means to go to church. And we still play some of those games too, don't we? And we're always seeking a way to find our purpose, to find a place to fit in, to do something, to be bigger than ourselves, to try to help others. That's really the genuine article of most of humanity is that we all want to be part of something that matters. Or we are what matters and everybody else needs to bow down to the part we are. You know. And then we get into psychological profiles and things of that nature. And then it's a bag of tricks. And it's all been written in a book. You can find them anywhere. Nothing new under the sun. Well, beloved, we're, we're a beautiful people in the eyes of our Father. And as much as I feel I can take a particular subject and just process it, and then explain it and then give you details and then find, find all sorts of examples and then pave it out there so simply that everybody's like, this is great. We end up being enamored and admiring the language and the process rather than the truth of the person of Christ. So the greatest way for me to teach is to stick to the text of Scripture and let the Bible expose itself. But I'm going to say this, beloved, the Bible is only for the elect of God, and even then, it is only reasonable to those who have been born of God in time. And then, those who have given the discipline of study and silent humility to learn under shepherds and elders who are literally teaching it, not trying to play some you know, self-help guru or play some community involvement plan, there might be time for self-help and community involvement, but it's not the point of the Scripture. And so there are a lot of people who claim to be in Christ who are not because they don't understand who He is. They do not know anything about Him. They've just been told, if you do X, then you will have heaven. If you believe these words, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, etc., etc., and so forth. It's a very contemporary idea, but it has the same context as what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. They felt once they heard the possibility that there was something more that they could have, they realized that in their flesh they could be greater than God or at least like Him by knowing something that He was withholding from them. And just like Lucifer said in the council of heaven, I will ascend to the throne and stand next to the Most High. That's a paraphrase. And Adam and Eve has done the same thing and all their progeny are born with that inerrant, inherited, countenance that even when it comes to studying the Bible that's why there are more writings about the Bible than there are Bibles more possible I mean I have been debating amongst peers when I debate I debate amongst peers I don't care about people who aren't my peers in debates you see what I'm saying you can take that sound bite he doesn't care about people who aren't his peers but I'm talking about people who have camaraderie around the subject. I've been debating Romans 8, the golden chain, for years. I hate that. 
idea that is a golden chain. And that people have put that out to such a degree that the average Joe in the house reading the Bible in his easy chair cannot pull that out. So has to go online and grab all this thick rhetoric and this deep philosophy and this incredible system and go, now I get it. You don't get it if it's not in the context of the first of the whole of Romans. If we want to get it, if we want to understand confident hope, which is the point of today's sermon, we need to do it in the context of knowing that we are God's children who have been born of the Spirit to believe in the work of Christ. And then by the Spirit of God, through the prescription and the commandment and the obligation that God has imposed upon His people, we come together every week, at least once a week, under obligation, that we may hear the Word of God so that we may be reminded, we may rejoice, we may learn together to do the work of the ministry for one another. And in the meantime, we support each other and we provide for each other's needs as we have them. We don't come to church to check off a box that we've been to church. We are the church. We come together so that we can actually show that we're the church. Because the very word, not literally, goodness, it's a transliterated, I can't stand this. But anyway, the idea of what the word church supposed to, is supposed to say is the, the gathering. It's not a spiritual thing. It's not a Christian thing. The assembly, the ecclesia, was a word that was used for any group of people in any form, in any fashion, anywhere in the world that got together. More than two. But yet we have made it synonymous with some kind of spiritual thing. It doesn't have to be spiritual. Matter of fact, I would say that probably nine out of ten church services going on right now in this community are not spiritual right at all. They're not even using the scripture except to prove a point that the pastor came up with over the week. And now that we've got all this software and all this internet, see when I started there was no internet. You couldn't go look up somebody else's ideas. You had to come up with them on your own. So I got very creative. And then you find an older man who has been doing it for years. Well, what you do, James, is you get that 90,000-page book. And you think of the word, the word hope. And you look it up, and you look up all the variations of the word hope and all the 9,000 different versions of Scripture and find one with the word hope in it and use that word, use that verse as your pretext, as your proof text. No, you don't. That's like sending me into the grocery store and saying, I'm going to make this, just get the ingredients. What ingredients? Anything you see. I'm coming back with Cheetos and Dr. Pepper, you know. Anything I see. Probably some donuts in there, too. The recipe for hope is found in the New Testament, which is written to the people of God and will only make sense to those who are born of Christ who are born of the Spirit. And that's why we're gathered today under the assumption that all of us desire to be together, that we may learn and be encouraged and live. Listen to the word of the Lord in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, that is kept in heaven for you, who you, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been what? Grieved by various trials. So that... The tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes when it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls verse 10 let's listen concerning this salvation that i just spoke of the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating 
when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, these things into which angels long to look. And then the very next thing Peter says, Therefore, 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 preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and then he gives some instruction, and we all know this instruction. And it's continued through the rest of the letter. Instruction, instruction, instruction. Because of Christ and his work and his love for you and his power in you, therefore, what? Here. So here is the prescription of hope in a nutshell, in case the power goes out and we have to go home early. It is because of the power and the sovereignty and the work of Christ for his people to save us and to redeem us and to secure us and all the promises therein which are absolutely done, that we are able to have a hope in confidence. Not only in the afterlife, but in the life today, that even in light, I'll steal away from Paul, light, momentary affliction, we have a greater hope and a greater joy because we know that we're going to make it through it and have something larger than ourselves to look forward to together with God's people. And this has been the point of history. It's been the point of the world. It is so easy to lose sight of this, beloved, that it is almost impossible not to lose sight if we are not in the Word of God every day. And even when we are in the Word of God every day, it is so easy to dismiss it, to dismiss our hope, because we become cynical and bitter and frustrated and angry and, Lord help me to confess it, selfish. We think about what's good for us and it's not wrong to think about what's good for us. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to think. We need to set boundaries. But we also need to know and understand that when the Lord has determined our suffering is His purposes Nothing will stop it but His purposes and His promises are the only thing that's going to help us stand in the midst of them. Changing the outcome of our circumstances is not where our hope lies. And we just heard that. We just heard that. And one of the darkest times of my life when my mind was not healthy. You ever been there? You ever been there where... You weren't healthy. You're emotionally unhealthy. You couldn't put your finger on what was really wrong. Why do I feel this way? And then all of a sudden, you're not so sure you're even thinking rationally. And you don't hate life. You're beyond that. Because at least hate and anger is something to feel. You're emotionless. You feel nothing. And you just don't know why. You ever been there? And there are temporal ways out of these things. But there's only one eternal hope in them. And I remember opening my Bible to Hebrews chapter 1 and hearing the words of Paul writing to these Christian Jews. Telling them and then allowing me to hear the word of the Lord in that same context that God has spoken to our forefathers through many ways, but in these last days He speaks to us through His Son. Through whom he created the world. And who now sits at the right hand of majesty on high. Of whom the angels look at and adore. And call their God. And I realize my place in the scope of that. Just like that. And this first section of Peter is also another opportunity to just sit for a minute and breathe it in like drowning. Let's unpack it. First, we need to know who this is being sent to, in a short sense, the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. What was happening? These Jewish people who had been saved by the grace of God, who had been shown by the Spirit, the gospel. See, we never, we lose sight of the gospel as, and its importance in our life. We're like, we're Christians, we're doing our thing. <coughs> and the world around us has told us we're supposed to be <coughs> academic theologians. And that's not the point. 
Doesn't mean we don't study academically, but doesn't mean we don't learn theology, but we do so from the context of Scripture as it affects our lives together and our individual purposes in the process of this life that we live. And so here, Peter is writing to these people whose entire lives have been turned upside down, not because people hated them because of their doctrinal stances. People hated them because they had to leave a false religion and they had to untether themselves to the authority that actually held them accountable to being able to spend their money, make their money, and live their lives as a family. The tether to Judaism. In the first century, first century Palestine, you were in or you were out. Much like evangelicalism today in America. You were in the politics of this nation or you were out. Hogwash. It's wicked. It's coming. Beloved, I'm nine pages into an article on that very thing. It's coming. For our purposes. And there's a plethora of all these. These people were suffering because God saved them. And they didn't know what else to do but stick together. And so they were exiles. You leave here or we're going to crucify you. You leave here or we're going to burn you. You see? You leave here or we're going to drown you. That's what our Presbyterian friends did to the Baptist. 17th century. You want to be baptized? Okay. Put you in a bucket of water and hang you outside for people to watch you rot. It's the first potluck. Baptist soup. Sorry. It's horrible. Church history is wickedly horrible, exposing the reality of how people have hated the gospel. Beloved, we're not experiencing that today. Why? Because we're plural as a society. The very Constitution of the United States permits me to serve and worship any God I choose to create. And I have a divine right by some ethereal whatever to be whatever I want to be anywhere, any way that I want to be. And there is nothing under the law that permits me as a Christian to impose my thoughts, views, politics, or anything else on anyone else in this country, it is a crime to do so according to the Bible. Welcome to America. We were created to be pluralistic. Read your history. Read all the founding fathers' letters, beloved, if you're so interested in it. I love this stuff. American church history and you know, I have spent too many hours reading it. So you want to debate it, you want to talk about it, you better come with the source documents. Not the Facebook posts, not the memes. Memes aren't real, you see. So here are these people, they are suffering for the gospel. Just because they believe, not because of what they said, not because of what they did, because they identified with the gospel. Not because that they decided they were going to separate. The first church didn't separate from false religion. That's why we worship on Sunday. Because they continued to go to temple. They continued to go to other things throughout the week. And continued to share the gospel. The revelation of their own religion to the, to the glory of Christ. Look, see the God that we've been worshiping. His name is Jesus. And people are like, this nonsense. He died, and he rose from the dead. That's nonsense. But God would cause some people to believe it, and they would engage, and they would become part of the family of faith. And then when that happened, people began to distance themselves. Well, I can't be in your life. I can't be your friend. I can't have lunch with you. Why does it happen? Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And the sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So see, quit thinking these are fortune cookie people here. This is not, nobody sat down, nobody sat down who had ever authored any scripture and said, Hmm, what post should I write today? What's on my mind right now? That's not how the Bible was created. The Bible wasn't created by one person or one group of people 
in a short amount of time so that they could get their point across and change the world. No, the Bible was created through intimate writings of letters sent by God the Spirit to nobodies in the middle of nowhere going to talk to somebody to declare His glory. And the message never changed for thousands and thousands of years. There's never been a contradiction in the story of redemption. This is the purposes of God, to sprinkle His people clean by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. That He declared them clean before the world began. And when Jesus died and said it was finished, the sins of all those people were paid for right then. Washed away, wiped out, no debt, everything is good. And we share this gospel message Because through that hearing of this gospel message, not the way you know it, 21st century America, but the way the Bible expresses it, through the hearing of that message and the evangelism of the gospel, God, as He deems fit, when He deems fit, causes His people whose sins are forgiven to rest and trust in that truth. That's called faith. And if there's another gospel, another anchor in your soul than what I just expressed, we need to talk. If there's anything else that tethers you to confidence other than the work of Jesus Christ, we need to have a conversation. Because you are misguided. Like the people of Galatia who thought, maybe circumcision would give me more confidence. Like Peter... I really don't want to sit with these people. Doubt and confusion and error is normal. It comes and goes. Intimacy around the Word in its context, in its instruction, as we're exiles, we have a hope. So here is this, here is this audience of suffering saints who are complaining and frustrated. You don't think they had fear? If you got home today and your house was on fire or the government had closed it up, and we even have recourse. We have the courts. We can tie it up for years. They had nothing. They had a man that under the sovereignty of God was a supreme ruler. Kyrios, he was Lord. Caesar was his title. And the Jews of first century were not free. And Peter writes this to them. Their their motivation wasn't to get free. Their motivation wasn't to create a culture around their new faith. Their motivation wasn't to change the political landscape. Their motivation wasn't to do all sorts of cool things to try to get people in on this new idea of Jesus coming back from the dead. Their focus was to honor Him and to take care of each other first and foremost. Beloved, we are the richest people in the nation. Even if we're poor. Because we have the riches of glory. But as Americans, we're the richest people in the world. Materially. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the God of heaven. If you were a Jewish person in that day, when you heard Peter say these words, it would have struck you to think, my Father has has abandoned me. Is our God, whose name we cannot say and do not know and cannot write, is our God listening? Why are we suffering this way? Because it is what they were destined to do. Because we as God's people are not of the world, but we are in the world. And we have great responsibility there. And Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless Him. Praise Him. The Lord Jesus is the Son of the Most High. 
This is who he is. Do not fear, beloved. They'd already heard. They already knew. They'd already been taught. They'd already become alive in him. But it is not given that we're going to just stand strong. You know, there's people who stand strong. You got examples of people who seem to always stand strong. When you inquire, how do you have such strength in life? And I had someone say it to me this way. Because life is awesome. I'm having a blast. Things are great. Are you not enjoying ministry? No! I've got 150 people who talk to me every week about wanting to die. There's a dozen marriages that are falling apart. There are people who are dying of drug abuse. We're, we're housing other people's children who are addicted to crack. No, I'm not having a good time. Is this the call of the Lord? Yes. People who seem so strong usually have the answer because nothing's wrong. When we are downtrodden, when we are broken, when we are unable to stand, when we can't lift our hands, and the body of Christ comes around and people pray for us, and then the Word of God comes alive for us in a few short hours out of 168 in a week, we have those few short hours of hope and light. That is strength. That is our hope because we know that we can't stand. But when we take one gaze to the one who is the rock of ages and we stand upon his promises, we are able to stand in that moment. Because he's holding us. Blessed be that father. The Father of our Lord who put His Son on the cross and crushed Him for our iniquities. By His stripes we are healed. See, what else matters in this moment? When the Word of God is alive to us that way by the Spirit, what else matters? we got a lot of junk going on in our lives, don't we? We've got a lot of pain. We've got a lot of concern. We've got a lot of things. We've got a lot of... A lot of stuff. But yet, when we hear these things, we're not overwhelmed by them in that moment. In the very next phrase of verse 3, Peter begins to express why he's blessed. According to His great mercy. His great grace. Now listen. He has caused us to be born again, to be made alive to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven by you, who by God's power are being guarded through salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a lot there. I might not even get through with it today. But let's, let's look at it. According to His great mercy, what has the grace of God done? What it always does. Effectuates regeneration, the new life. Faith. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. I want you to hear that. How do you know you have eternal life? By grace, by the mercy of God alone. That's how you know. And then what do you know? Where does your faith lie? That Jesus Christ, death did not end it, but He came back from the dead. We are born again to a living hope. Sometimes life doesn't feel like living. I've really been focusing over the last month or so about living life in Christ. <clears throat> and it's going to be what I do more in my personal moanings and groanings than anything else. Because the theologies of a man don't qualify him for the ministry. I believe it is, as I said last week, what shows that he's qualified is how, is how he loves his neighbor. And that he has the truth. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But the emphasis is unbalanced according to the scripture. And that's why Timothy is the letter we're really in with this little sub-series. It's focusing on what that qualification looks like and why, so that the church may grow in joy and peace and unity in the midst of what? 
supreme conflict. Supreme conflict. If there's not conflict, there's no reason to be reminded of the gospel. If there wasn't conflict, there would be no reason for the gospel. So if the whole reality of our existence as divine children, born of God, is to resolve righteousness and the conflict between God accepting a sinful people who are unacceptable and then making everything judicially right so that they are acceptable, that's conflict. We need to realize that that's the point of the Christian life is that how we handle suffering and conflict is telling of our maturity. I get very upset about the stupidest things now. Stupidest things. Gas going up. Ah, stupid gas. Greedy billionaires. Gas goes down. Ah, politicians. <laughs> to which none of them have anything to do with any. Why does that make me mad? Who cares? It's, it's no value whatsoever to me in the scope of the grace and the mercy of God. I've probably done 700 funerals in my lifetime or more. Maybe not. Maybe I'm missing, maybe I'm thinking weddings. But I've never seen a funeral bury a bag of money, gold coins. As a matter of fact, when the casket closes, most people take off the jewelry. Peter uses that example. We are born again to a living hope. Even though we feel like life is not worth living, we are living. We are alive in an abundant way. Beloved, this sermon is for me. And if you get to participate in its efficacy, then more power to you. And if what I teach isn't for me first, it has no effect for you. Except that God would will it so. Beloved, I am preaching to myself also. Don't ever think when I preach from this podium that I am telling you how you ought to do. But I am telling us how we ought to do. And the day I perfect it will be the day God takes me from the world. Because that's the only way I'm going to be perfect. So we have an inheritance that is not of this world. The exiles lost it all. The gospel is a promise of an inheritance. What is it? An imperishable, imperishable inheritance. An undefiled inheritance. An unfading inheritance. It's not losing value. It's not like our money market in 401ks in February, March, and April and who have gone down 30 and 40% in the last few months. It's not like the price of certain commodities who have gone down 70%. People losing 70% of their wealth just like that overnight. And if you're leveraged, any cash you had has gone because you have to pay it back. God can take it all like that. It's not about this world. Because this world belongs to Him and the devil's in it. And the problems and the praises are all His to orchestrate. But Jesus Christ has raised from the dead, proving His power, proving His promises, proving His preeminence. And in all of these things, we now have an inheritance. We are the adopted children who are going to inherit Christ's glory. And nothing can take it away. Moths do not eat it. It is not defiled, it is not of this world, and it does not reduce in value. It is kept in heaven. This idea, this is an image. These are not principles to say, oh, now I understand the firm theology of this. These are images, poetically, that Peter is writing for these people to hear. You're supposed to hear it and go, wow, God's not storing this in a perishable way. It's not, nobody can overcome it. 
Nobody can take me from Christ. Nobody can ruin what Christ has done for me. It's not even here. It's there. Why? Because that's where Christ is. See, the gospel is not a, 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 a thing. It's a proclamation about a person whose name is Jesus, who is truly God and became truly man. And so by God's power, all that Christ has in His hands, no one can snatch out. And all that the Father gives Him do come to Him. He will raise them up on the last day. And so this promise, this power, this grace of God is kept for us. We, who, verse 5, we are the ones who, by God's power, are being guarded. And the question automatically comes, well, this, everything's just so bad, everything's just so frustrating, my, my mind's not right, I just can't think, I don't know, I'm insecure, I don't have hope, I don't have confidence. How do I know that I'm being guarded? Look at my life, right? Because God has gifted you something that you cannot muster in your own power. And that is trusting and resting in the blessed Father and in the Son and His promise. That's faith. Faith is not an agreement of things. Faith is a trusting. It is an inner working by the Spirit of God to cause us in the face of absolute uncertainty to be reminded and resolved to rest. Wow. What does the flesh do? Let me work a little harder. Let me put away something. Maybe I'm being punished. God doesn't punish us. The Bible doesn't teach that there's condemnation or punishment at all. Correction? Yes. What's another word for correction? Discipline. What's another word for discipline? Discipleship. We learn. Discipline is learning. We learn those things that bring greater benefits to us. Through discipline, like exercise or eating well or, you know, not reading horror stories at night. Not getting into a tit-tat with our neighbor about the dog or whatever. We do learn, but God is not punishing His people. He punished His Son in our place. So by God's power, we have been guarded through faith. We believe, we rest, we trust. In what? The salvation that has been declared to us. The salvation that has been accomplished for us. The salvation that has been applied to us. Where is this salvation? Do I have to die to have it? No, you have it right now. You have it in the darkest hole of your soul. You have it in the most blinding place. You have it in the most discouraging moments. You have the salvation of Christ in every circumstance, in every second of your life. And beloved, if we take our eye off of that for one moment, we will be overcome by our flesh. But even when we sin and stomp our feet and curse God, it is not going to change who we are in His eyes. We are His beloved children, and Christ has paid for our sins, and nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even God Himself, for God cannot lie. Now, there's a lot of text in there. There's about three places in Scripture that just weave that together, but you know it. But don't take my word for it. Prove it to yourself through the Scripture. And by faith, I know that in the last time, do you ever doubt that? Do you ever doubt? Do you ever sit there and go, what if this is all just a joke? Because, you know, most people are brainwashed in the context of Christianity. And, and, and we're going to see some of that in the months to come. We're brainwashed in certain aspects of our faith, culturally. Nonsense. Well, if you really love the Lord, you'll fill in the blank. Well, this is a more godly. Well, Christians don't do, you know, that kind of stuff. And the reason I want to teach in that is because the Scripture calls for it, as we'll see going through Timothy. 
And you need to be free of the overwhelming burden and bondage of people who don't know the gospel, a.k.a. the culture at large. The salvation is going to be revealed in the last time. What does that mean? On the day of Christ's return, on the last day. Now see, we're already brainwashing to thinking about eschatology. We're already brainwashing to thinking about what's going to be like. What is the rapture? There's not one. Not the way you know it. According to the scripture, Jesus is coming back once. Not twice, not three times. He's not taking a trip, taking a side trip, taking a potty break. Coming back, picking up a few. He's not on a bus route. He's coming back, and when he comes back, in the, shat, in the blinking of an eye, all things are new. The elect are with him in glorified state, and the non-elect receive justice. Abby asked me last night, Daddy, are there going to be electronics in heaven? And I went, the people that made them will be there. Maybe. We don't know. Don't worry about it. Oh, what would I do? <laughs> you know, when you think about that, take a car ride, don't have a book, don't have a cross stitch, don't have, a, you know, don't have something to do. What do we do? We count murders of crows. That was my day yesterday. So the salvation, we're guarded. How do we know? Because God gives us faith to rest in the promise. It's coming. It is ours. We are redeemed. And then verse 6. See, here's the outcome of it. Here, here is the impossible. I go to this. I'm not kidding, y'all. Verse 6 here. It is in my head every single day. I say to myself often every day. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you face all sorts of troubles and trials. Why? Why do we face troubles and trials, various grievances? Why do we grieve? Why do we have to deal with this? Why do we have to hurt in our hearts? Why do we have to feel pain and loneliness? Why do we have to have anger? Why do we have to sin against people? Why do we have to have the need for, for reconciliation because people just cannot get along. Why is all this taking place? What's going on in the world today? Exactly what God has purposed. And there's something else going on that's not in the world and not of the world, and that is He's promised to redeem His people from the world. We will have our day in the sun. And I'm not... But listen, I got a lot of problems. I got a lot of suffering in my life. A lot of fear right now in my spirit. A lot of fear and anxiety. Scared to death about a couple of things. But we get to a place to think that, well, if I can just have enough faith, I won't be scared. No, that's not the point. The point is, is to find that place of rest and rejoice in the midst of it. Because God hasn't promised some of the, some of the, I know people mean well when they say this, and I, I correct those who are close to me when they say this. That's okay, God's going to work it out, it's going to be fine. That's a true statement. But what they mean sometimes is, oh, nothing's wrong with you, James, everything's fine, you're going to be fine. God's going to heal you. How do you know? What if God's purpose is that through my suffering, I may rejoice with a greater purpose? And then get to be in glory through death of this body. See, when I'm focused on the promise, it's actually exciting. When I'm focused on the planet and the people around me, it becomes depressing. Five years ago, one day last week, I even posted, and it came up as a reminder, look what you were thinking then, that it would be so much easier to just die. But that our greater purpose is, is to rejoice in the promises of Christ. Because He purposes our sufferings. So in this suffering, in this gospel, more particularly is what Peter's saying, in the gospel, in the power of God unto salvation, you Rejoice. 
Now I'm going to skip down to get to the meat, the potatoes of this rejoicing. What does it say? Look at verse 8. Though you don't see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. So here is this joy, because it's easy for me to say, you just need to rejoice. You need to rejoice. What am I thinking about if I'm rejoicing? The million dollars I don't have? The million dollars I do have? Which one do you think is going to put a bigger smile on my face? I saw a picture yesterday that a man shared. He says he tried to get his son to smile for a picture. He said, look, son, smile. And he's going... And the one next to him was a picture of this kid just elated and his face just lit up. He said, I said the word poop and took that picture. See, we can't smile on command. But we snicker when we hear the word poop. See, half of I had an uncle one time that called us turd knockers. I don't even know what those are. Do they go on the door? Well, I mean, I don't know. But it makes you smile. Beloved, is not the promise of the gospel enough to do that? And sometimes it's inexpressible. It's easy to say rejoice, just be happy, Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> it's easy to say just, you know, have a good attitude. Attitude is everything. That was a mantra I had in middle school. Yes, attitude is everything. Sure is. It'll get you in trouble. But in this gospel, you rejoice. You rejoice, not in the circumstances, not, in, not because of the pain, not this, not that, not the other. Beloved, the Christian life, the experience of living in Christ ought to be one of, of, of hope and confidence and peace. But yet, we're always fighting to that end. Peter says... That we rejoice in the gospel in the midst of the suffering. He even says it after the fact here. Though, for a little while now, see that light momentary affliction that Paul talks about, if necessary. Why would it be necessary? Because we don't know what God's purposes are in our lives. But if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why is this happening to me? He answers it. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. Now let's stop there for a second. When we have trials, remember I talked about the two hours out of 168, and we look to the hope of Christ and we find a sense of peace and joy in the midst of that meditation, in the midst of that discipline, we are sometimes unable to express the joy that it gives us and the calmness that we have, but it is there. There's a focus. There's a perception. We're looking at something different than the things of this world. We're looking at something that is outside of this world. And it sounds crazy because it is to a person who has not been granted that. It is to a person who is in a works ideology of religion trying to please God. We are not trying to please God. God is pleased with us because he crushed his son instead of us. We have escaped his wrath because the wrath of God, the anger of God has been poured out on Jesus. So when we have trials, it tests our faith. And we would think, well, we pass the test if we don't get upset or scared. No, we pass the test when we come back to the gospel. When? This hour. Just like we don't eat a Ritz cracker on Monday and then try again Friday for some more food. No, we're two or three times a day in it and a snack in between sometimes. We can't just say, well, I got the gospel this past Sunday. Oh, man, that was so powerful. It's how sometimes we have a church service and everybody feels like God himself was sitting in the front row. Why was James preaching? <laughs> you know? God is at the front row, as long as the Bible's being exposited. 
And then we leave out of here and go, wasn't it great? You don't get to the stop sign before something happens. Somebody runs out in front of you. If you spill your coffee in your lap or somebody gets into a debate in the, in the car or you remember that you're the same knucklehead that you were before church or that tomorrow's Monday, hallelujah. We don't say, what a Savior. I hate Mondays, right? I love Mondays. <coughs> hate every other day. No, I'm joking. And we think, where is this to be found? In the same place we found it before we left the building, in the gospel. And I tell you what, beloved, we need to be more encouragers in this than anything else. We're not supposed to be theological taskmasters. We're not supposed to be doctrinal police officers. We're supposed to be gospel encouragers. That's the command of God to the church, only to the church, is to be gospel encouragers and slaves unto one another as unto the Lord. Therein is the law of Christ fulfilled. So we learn to do that through the assembly and we engage in such a way that when James Tippins complains, which is a sin, and gripes and moans and whines, instead of the rebuke that most people like to give because they're hypocrites, myself included, it needs to be an encouragement. I know this is hard. I'm sorry. Praise the Lord that we know the gospel. It's not even a remedy. It's not like, well, you're going to look at a different. No, don't look at it in a different way. Look at something different. <laughs> you see? That's the remedy. That's the inexpressible joy. Because when I'm in the middle of the mire, I'm not going to jump up and click my heels like I just bought a Toyota. For those of you who know that commercial. I'm going to wallow in the floor and moan and cry and act like a baby. And I'm going to have an inner joy for a moment when I think about the gospel. When I think about the fact that Jesus Christ took the full cup of wrath and fury and he drunk every last drop. And my sins were in that. And so were yours. And so our faith is tested. It shows us that our tether to joy is only in Christ. The true happiness is only found in the slaying of righteousness, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the slayer of sadness, beloved. He's the bringer of joy. He will crush the head of the dragon. <laughs> These are biblical phrases. Neither shall there be any tears, nor shall there be any weeping. But we haven't seen Jesus yet. But we love Him. Why? Because He loves us. He's given us faith to know Him. Though you don't see Him now, you believe in Him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our faith looks at the promise of salvation. And in this promise, we have confidence. We have hope. Beloved, please, let's learn to encourage one another in the gospel. And let's learn to pray for one another. And over the next few weeks, as Trey and I do some more teaching about the church, we are going to talk more and more about faith. And we're going to talk more about assurance. And we're going to work slowly as necessary so that we can have an understanding of these things. So that at the end of every day when you look to your hope, you're not looking at yourself and you're not looking at your faith. You're looking at Christ. And you're knowing these things based on God showing us who He is and what He's done through His Word. Let's pray. We thank You, Father, for the beauty of Your Gospel, the beauty of Your Son, Jesus Christ, the good news of who He is and what He's done for His people. Lord, that You have given a people to Him, that You have placed a people upon His shoulders and the guilt of a people upon His shoulders. And when You crucified Jesus Christ in Your purposes and in Your way, You satisfied the debt of sin forever. Father, you promised this. It was done. 
Before the world began, it was finished. In your own mind, and Lord, it was finished and completed fully at the cross. And we should pay close attention to the things of, the, of, the, of your word that show us this promise and show us the fulfillment of it in the sending of your Son and show us the promise of glory in the resurrection and the ascension of your Son. And so God, as I meander through these things week after week, Lord, I pray that you would do a work that I cannot accomplish and that is to give confidence to us, your people. Lord, to grow our love for one another more intimate, not because we like each other so much, but Lord, because Christ is our Savior and we are His body. Lord, let it be about the joy of Christ above all things and everything else can wane and change, but Lord, that will never change. And so help us to focus there. And as we take the table to remember the body and the blood of Jesus, I thank You that You've given us this reminder the cost and the promise and the perfection of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.